inside is Pero looking for two. Doncaster straight. Can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence. But Pharo, Pharo dashed to the lead from Abbey Glen and light up the world, followed by Aragen and Brave Warrior. But Gavin Eads goes for home on Pharo. Look at Auntie Mary. Auntie Mary out of the back. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Ask any trainer about the frustrations of having horses who won't clean up their feeds. Those horses who always leave a little more than they should. And for some strange reason, they seem to leave the most the night before they're due to race. Why not try those finicky doers on Pride's Easy Performance? A highly palatable set recipe feed that provides the right muscle fuel while promoting inner health. It's also of benefit in helping horses to recover after a tough run, a barrier trial, or a searching track gallop. Some horses have only one win in them. Others might have two or three. They've got to be happy, healthy, and fit at all times and on a feed that covers all bases. It's a good feeling for any trainer when a horse looks right and when he or she is leaving the feed bin with a shiny bottom. When the right race comes along, you want a horse who's been on a feeding regime designed to help it get to the line. Pride's Easy Performance is the complete nutritional feed for the equine performance athlete. When it comes to racing accidents, 2023 will go down in Victorian racing history as one of the most upsetting on record. The death of Dean Holland after a race fall to Donald in April left the racing industry in deep shock. In the previous month, a spate of race falls had hospitalised prominent jockeys Ethan Brown, Jamie Carr, Craig Williams and T.O. Nugent, and only two weeks later, Blake McDougall was sidelined with a C7 injury after a fall at Geelong. Ethan Brown's injury list after his fall in the Australian Guineas was of grave concern to his doctors at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. He underwent three surgical procedures in a week to arrest internal bleeding. It was determined that he'd suffered a badly lacerated liver while doctors decided to remove his gallbladder and a portion of one kidney. Bruising to the vocal cords caused by the use of a breathing tube left him with little or no voice for a full month after the final surgery. Some time later, hairline fractures were discovered in his lower vertebrae. Ethan's accident was on March the 4th. Imagine the reaction of the Cranbourne regulars when the same Ethan Brown turned up for track work duties on the 10th of July, less than four months after his crash in the Australian Guineas. Nobody is more surprised than Ethan Brown himself, and he's online to talk to us now. Great to catch up, Ethan. Thanks for your time. Yeah, no worries. It's, um, it's a pleasure to join. You know, from the accident to your first day back at the track, was 18 weeks and two days. You're a freak. <laughs> yeah, the turnaround time was was quite quick for the injuries I sustained. And um, as you mentioned, it, it did come to a great surprise, you know, to, to, to recover as quick as I did. But um, I was lucky I had youth on my side and I was very fit at the time of my fall, which um, it definitely helped. 
I can't begin to imagine how stiff and sore you must have been after your first day back at track work. Yeah, I was I was pretty sore. I'd done a fair bit of um, rehab, like at home, a lot of core work and, and, and whatnot, and just trying to activate those muscles that you would use riding a horse. So I'd do a lot of replicating work in the gym. Um, so when I did come back for my first morning, I did pull up sore, but probably not as sore as I was expecting because I did do that work and it it really helped um, recovery and I was able to get, get back to track work the next day, actually. Not only have you been riding a lot of fast work, but you've also been around in a good number of jump outs, so you're ready. Well and truly, yeah. I've been doing um, sort of 10 jump outs every Monday morning for the last four weeks. And, yeah, track work at least three times a week and being all gallops. So my fitness is is where it needs to be. It's, it's very good. So obviously no no fitness like race day fitness. So I'm definitely going to uh, come on a lot, as so to speak, from um, mm. a few outings at the races. But, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, I feel as I've done – all the right things by my body and my time off. Adding to your frustration at the time of the accident was the fact that you were on a roll. You'd ridden 62 winners on Victorian tracks in eight months. You were absolutely flying last season. Yeah, I mean, those sort of things can happen, don't they? I'd just like to look at it as a bit of a speed hump in the road. Um, bit of an interruption, but anyway, we put all that behind us and you move on. So just, you know, my, obviously my goal is to, to come back, uh, even better than, than last season. And, um, you know, the only way that can happen is through hard work and just got to reestablish myself. But, you know, I, I'm in a good headspace at the moment. The fall hasn't, you know, as bad as it was, it hasn't affected how I think on a horse or in a trial. Uh, it's quite amazing, really. Yes, it is amazing, Ethan. Now, let's go back to that Australian Guineas accident. You actually led in the race on a horse called Maximilius, and you were still in front at the 300-metre mark when a Dodgem car derby suddenly evolved. There was massive interference. It brought your horse down... Mark Zara's mount, Holly Mann's, also fell. Damien Oliver was lucky to stay on his feet. How much of it do you remember? Oh, look, I actually remember uh, most of the fall, to be honest. Um, obviously, yeah, let, let up. And I, I just remember sort of my horse running out of petrol, coming to that 300-metre mark, and uh, obviously a swarm come around me. And he got knocked about, my bloke, and, yeah, it was – it's hard to explain, like, being thrown in a washing machine, I suppose. It all happened very quick. <laughs> well very, put. Yeah. Well, <laughs> very quick, and then all of a sudden it was um, it was calm, and I, I didn't feel any pain. Just thought I was really winded, mm. and um, when all that sort of calmed down, about a minute, I reckon, the pain started to kick in, and, yeah, I would not wish that upon anyone that pain I went through. <laughs> well, the stewards had the final say because Mark Zara 
was suspended for 36 meetings and Blake Shin for 10. It was a hell of a stack. Yeah, that it was. I mean, um, you know, that's the way the stewards chose to um, go about it and that's how they sort of police those incidents. Um, careless writing, but look, all in all, everyone got through it in one piece, which is the main thing, um, including horses. So that's the way I like to look at it. I was just going to say, happily, both of those horses were able to walk back to their race day stalls. Yeah, it was amazing. I actually watched the stewards' vision several times of that fall, and um, you know, everything happens. Both the horses come down, and then both jockeys are laying there, and both the horses got up and started cow kicking and yeah. running off. So they got out, got out of it um, unscathed, which was good. Good to see. Support of family and friends, of course, during the early part of your recovery was overwhelming. Your partner, Celine, was there every spare moment and your wonderful mum, Sonia, flew from Darwin to be by your bedside. Aren't mums unique people? Oh, that they are. Yep, they're, um, they're unreal. You know, mum seen the fall straight away and as soon as she's seen it, she booked a flight straight near because she had a bad feeling about it, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, she, uh, yeah... She was by my side the whole time. Dad flew down, you know, stepdad, Celine was there, my brothers and sisters, they all came. So I think having that support when you're in such a vulnerable state really helps, you know. It's quite amazing how much it does help you. Mm. Lifts your spirits and um, I think it helps helps you recover quicker too. You were born in the unique township of Alice Springs, in 1999, when life was less complicated up there than it is right now. As you mentioned, you've um, your siblings, you have one brother, three sisters, who've all moved away now, but they keep a close watch on everything you're doing in Melbourne. Your stepfather, Ronnie Donnelly, dabbled in horse ownership, and he was often at the local races watching his horses, and you were tagging along from a very early age. Yeah, that's correct. He, um, we used to head out to the races every second Sunday sort of thing and um, after that, they'd, you know, half the races, they'd go back to the stables for a couple of drinks and, and whatnot and I'd tag along and, uh, yeah, I'd have a pat of the horses, or you know, and I, I just sort of I got the itch of it, so to speak, yeah. in racing. And, um, yeah, he, he spoke to his mate, Greg Connor, he was a trainer there and got me a job mm. just before and after school, uh, just doing boxes and waters and all the basics and learning basic horsemanship. And, um, yeah, from there I just sort of progressed on to, to riding in the round yard, riding the pony, and then on to track work. Mm. You later transferred your indentureship to Gary and Lisa Lafoe where you gained a, a tremendous amount of experience. Gary wrote a lot of work with you then, didn't he? Yeah, that he did. And um, a lot of the local jockeys in Alice, Paul Denton and Kim Gladwin, they taught me a fair bit as well. And they were sort of stable riders for Lisa and Gary. Um, so I started my apprenticeship there. And I think it was only six six months I lasted there and 
found myself on loan here in Melbourne. Yeah, now <clears throat> that's was brought about by virtue of the fact that barrier trials are so few and far between. Under the rules of racing, an apprentice must have a minimum of 20 trial rides before being licensed to ride in races. Now, up there in the Alice, the trials were on once a month, so it was going to take a long time. Arrangements were made for you to go to Mick Kent Senior in Melbourne to complete your required number of trial rides, and you did that in no time at all. Yeah, pretty much. I, I From memory, yeah, it's at least, yeah, once a month even, sometimes longer, you know, like they're very rare, the trials in Alice, and... Um, I do recall needing a thing, yeah, 20, 20 or so trials to get their approval for race day. Mm. Uh, I believe the steward in one of the stewards in Alice may have called, um, yeah, made contact with someone down here and was able to tee up something for the Cranbourne trials on a Monday. Mm. And obviously Mick Kent's got horses trolling all the time and he's very good with apprentices, so. I was able to, yeah, trial a few for him. I think I might have done three or four for him. Mm. And, um, yeah, come back to Alice, got the tick to riding races. And um, as I said before, I think it was six months I lasted there. Yeah. Your first race ride was on a horse called Victorious Tail. It was on the 24th of May 2015. You ran 9th of eleven. After being seven wide throughout, you tell me, Ethan. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, won't won't ever forget that one. I don't think me boss will either, but <laughs> <laughs> not a pretty ride, yeah. eh? Uh no, nah, definitely not. Wasn't from memory. Um, but there's only only one way to him you know, there's a lot of improvement to make on that ride, which you know, I, I was a quick learner and um you know, Gary and Lisa, they were good teachers, so I was, you know, I carved that one up on them, but they were <laughs> give me a lot of opportunities and um, I was able to redeem myself soon after. I'll say your first race win was on the 21st of June 2015 on Lady Fromley for Gary and Lisa Lafoe, and your second win was on the same mare about two months later. Now, she was no uh, Leilani, Lady Fromley, but she gets a big mention in your scrapbook. Yeah, that she does. I used to ride a lot of track work on her. She, was, she, she taught me a lot, that horse. And, um, you know, she was easy to ride, right? It made my job easier, especially as a four-kilo apprentice. And, um, yeah, f first winner. You never forget that one. And uh, I think that... It definitely made the bosses a lot more happier after that first ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a stroke of luck soon after when Mick Kent Sr. agreed to sign you up in Melbourne and you couldn't wait to get back there. There's no doubt Mick Kent Sr. was the man to launch your career. Yeah, exactly right. He, um, yeah, he's been like his father figure to me, so to speak. He's... Uh, so I come when I come here. I moved in with him. I was only freshly turned sixteen, so I was very young, and I didn't know what I was in for. But he took me under his wing, and yeah, he put the polish on, so to speak. Like he taught me um, 
a lot about Victorian racing and uh, give me a lot of opportunities. 31st of October 2015 is a very significant date in your career. Mick canvassed a few trainers on your behalf and he got you three rides on that curious little track at Witchy Proof. And lo and behold, they all won. Chances are you'd never heard of Witchy Proof. No, I hadn't, and I hadn't spent four hours in a car before being from Alice. <laughs> but uh, it's a long trip there, and uh, but yeah, I remember Mick saying, you know, this is the sort of stuff you got to do to to get going in Victoria. So, I, you know, off I went to Witchy Proof, and I was fortunate enough that all them horses won. I do remember that day quite quick, clearly, actually. Yeah, the first win was She's a Poppy for Brad Cole. The second was on Calcadan for Paul Banks. And the third was on Brown-Eyed Hawk for Jane Duncan. A treble. What a start. Yeah, no, it was a great start. And I think um didn't put me on the map, but it's, you know, people see my name come up right at treble and, you know, ask who, who, who that is and... You know, after that, um, I found myself probably getting rides in the more premier country tracks like your Cranburns and mm. Bendigo's and whatnot, and I, I got a little bit more notice after that day. How did you handle the change of lifestyle, Ethan? Were you homesick for a while? Yeah, extremely. Um, I think within a week I wanted to – within a week of moving here, I wanted to move back home. Did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I struggled bad, but um, I was fortunate enough. I had um, Jake Bayless and Bo Mertens around me, mm-hmm. so they were apprenticed to Mick at the time, and um, yeah, they were a massive help. We all lived together at one point there, and all supported each other. And um, I, I think without them, I probably would have gone home. <laughs> yeah, really, Jake Bayless and Bo Mertens, and they are both still great friends. They are, yeah, we're very close. Obviously, Jake's up in Queensland at the moment, um, so I don't see him as much, but still keep in touch. And, yeah, me and Bo are, are very close, mate. And he'll be needing your support just at the moment, of course, having lost his dad, Peter, only a few weeks ago. Yeah, 100%. Um, obviously, terrible news. And uh, I knew Pete quite well myself, and it was a bit of a shock but um you know we we're all there for each other they're a big family and um and they're all there to support each other and i'm just i'm glad i can be there for Bo at this time as well we think it was mitch beer who supplied your first winner in the city he was then training in partnership with max higgins you couldn't recall the name of the horse when we spoke a week or so back Jackie's Joy was the name of that horse. Oh, good. First city winner, which track? Is it Sandown? Another magic moment. Yeah, it was. It, that was a, a good moment. Um, I think I only had the one ride that day. And um, I think it was overly fancied in the market from memory. Mm. But, yeah, no, that was definitely – that was a great buzz to ride me first winner in town. Darren Weir recognised your talents early on and with such a huge number of horses on his books, 
he had frequent need of a claiming apprentice. He started to put you on, and what a run you and Darren Weir had together. First win was a mare called True Kisses in a Warwick Nabil Maiden. Yeah, that sort of kicked off my um, stint with, with Darren Weir. He gave me a terrific guy. He's, he's a very loyal man. Um, made you work for it, which I was happy to do, but with the opportunities he provided, really excelled my career and helped me become leading apprentice. Your first city win for Darren was on Speedy Ore, a northern meteor horse who won four out of five before going amiss. You rode him once for a win at Sandown. Pretty smart horse, wasn't he? He was a very smart horse, that, that horse. Um, unfortunately, uh, we never seen the best of him, but, yeah, he gave me a terrific fuel that day, and his win was enormous. He, he probably didn't deserve to win, to be honest. I sat sat a good six lengths off the speed over a 1,000 at Sandown, and he, um, he was able to pick him up. And, yeah, that gave me my first wear for Darren in the city. Well, you went on to win city races on some very nice horses for Darren Weir. Horses like Ken's Dream, Iconoclast, Mr Quickie, Cliff's Edge, and I'm sure the association would have flourished. When Darren incurred his disqualification, you felt it deeply, and for a while there, your run rate slowed down as you'd expect, and it was of some concern to you, wasn't it? You hit a brick wall for a few weeks. Yeah, I did. It, it was yeah, it was a good month, I reckon, from memory. But, you know, I, when Darren was training, I sort of put all my eggs in one basket, and um, he, he was giving me such a good opportunity in saying that. And, uh, yeah, obviously when everything – when he got suspended uh, – disqualified – you know, I wasn't because I'd put all my eggs in one basket. I found it hard to get rides after that, and it took a while to sort of rebuild and and whatnot. But finally got there, and that's when I found a horse called Fidelia mm. of uh, Robbie Griffiths, and she helped me outride my claim actually. She was your last, uh, was she your last winner as an apprentice? Or you lost your claim on Fidelia, didn't you? Yeah, so it's, when when Darren got rubbed out, I only had a couple of winners to go, I think, of my, um, of outride my claim. And that ended up dragging on a fair bit because I, I did feel the pinch a bit when he, mm. when he got rubbed out. But, yeah, Fidelia provided me with my, my, um, final winner to outride my claim. That, that was a great moment in itself. Mm, you actually won two races on Fidelia at Flemington and it was the second one that wiped out your Metropolitan claim. She had a terrific turn of foot, that mare. Yeah, she did. She was a beauty, that horse. She, um, she'd often get back and her turn of foot was enormous. She's, she was one of them horses where if you got in trouble on her up the straight, she'd She'd often get you out of trouble because of her turn of foot. Mm. Um, she made it made it easy for for apprentices, that's for sure. She could really let down for Delia. She's very, very good mare. The Rising Star Series in Victoria is highly prized by Victorian apprentices. 
There are 24 races in the series over a pretty lengthy period of time and it's decided on a point score basis. You don't have to ride the winner of the final at Flemington. You've just got to keep chipping away right through the season. You won it twice. Yeah, I did. Um, I can't remember the first time I won it properly, but the second time I won it's uh, not a bad story. Um, so I was leading it all the way. I was leading the whole way and got to the last the last meeting and my fellow apprentice, Steph Thornton, she was actually apprenticed to Mick Ken at the time as well. Mm. She was catching me and she was she was riding a heap of um, heap of the Rising Stars winners in the country. So she she was second, I think. And um, so I got to the last race at Flemington and sort of she was on the favourite for Chris, Chris Waller and I was on one of Weary's. I think Weary's was 20 to 1. Mm. And what had... If, if I finished in front of Steph, then I won the series, or if she finished in front of me, then she won. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was lucky enough that my horse ran third, I think, and hers ran fifth, so that got me over the line. Um, we really um, helped help me there again. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was the second time I won it. That, no, that was good. Obviously, all the apprentices tried to, to win that series. I was fortunate enough to win it twice. Ethan, I'll get you to stand by for a moment. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast and we'll come back with you in just a moment. Ticket sales are humming along for the 2023 Kosciuszko sweepstakes. 14 lucky ticket holders will get to share in the $2 million prize money on offer for this year's edition of the world's richest race for country and ACT trained horses. $5 sweepstake tickets are available until the 6th of September via the Tab app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winners will be drawn on Friday September the 8th and those winners will be in a position to offer their slots to the owner or owners of one of the Kosciuszko runners. Slot holders and owners will negotiate a prize money split suitable to both parties. It's hard to believe five years have passed since the Grafton train Bell Flyer won the first Kosciuszko on a heavy track. 2019 it was the Canberra train to handle the truth. 2020 the scone mare It's Me who finished very fast to win the big race. 2021, Arcado became the only horse to win the country championship Kosciuszko double. Last year, the Wagga train front page was an impressive winner and is expected to line up again in 2023. Ticket sales close September the 6th. Draw will be held on September the 8th and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and racingnewsouthwales.com.au. My special guest is Ethan Brown, who's just back in the saddle following a lengthy absence after his fall in the Australian Guineas. Mar and Eustace gave you three wonderful opportunities on a great mare called Snap Dancer last year. Your first ride on Snap Dancer and your first Group 1 win was in the Robert Sangster at Morfordville. A Group 1's a Group 1 wherever it's run. Yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, that was a terrific moment, such a buzz. Uh, I remember it was about she was about twenty to one, and I remember Kieran saying, um, "Run well, it's me. You just got to make her jump out the gates." Mm. 
Mm. And um, if you jump clean, just go from there. I don't mind if you lead or second or third, just ride her. And um, I was able to execute that, and Kieran was spot on. She, um, she brained him that day. Well, she was freshened up. She went to Brisbane for a hit-run raid on the Group 1 Tats Tiara, and she beat all but star Tontes. Any excuses? She, she drew wide that day. Um, gee, she deserved to win that race. She, um, she drew wide. She'd done a little bit of work to get across. Once we found our spot, she had a nice resting run, but, you know, she was probably found, found wanting a bit late. And, um, you know, unfortunately, the, the other mare, Sartonte, got up our inside and, and beat us by about half a length or a length from memory, which mm. it was a bit of a kick in the guts, but it was a very solid effort from Snap Dancer. Mm. Well, it was two months before she raced again, and this time it was the Group 1 Memsey Stakes at Caulfield. She was best fresh, Snap Dancer, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. She always ran her best races with a with a gap between runs, and you know that's the beauty of Kira and Dave. They, they placed her to perfection um, by giving her that bit of a freshen up. Still, she still had residual fitness from her um, previous runs, and had that freshness on her side. So up to fourteen was wasn't a query, but was the only change, and. Um, Due to, due to that residual fitness, she was able to bounce, travel, dictate out in front, and she had the sharpness over those resuming stays. Mm. I, and, bet you, um, I bet you had your eye on the winning post the last 50 metres. I'm thunderstruck. was absolutely hurtling home. Yeah, that he was. and um, But we were able to execute that. It was a team effort, that win. And, mm. um, you know, she beats, definitely beat some um, serious horses that day. The demand for stakes-winning mares as stud propositions in the last few years has been mind-boggling. Snapdancer made $3.2 million at the Magic Millions broodmare sale recently. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I, I thought she would bring a bit. I don't know a lot about the breeding, but $3.2 million, definitely. It's a lot of money, and um, but, you know, she was a... Got great mare, dual Group One winner, ran second in a Group One. You know she, you know mm. Brad, Brad and the team, they deserve to bring, get that sort of money for her. Yep, she'd earned it. Well, just a few months later, Mar and Eustace again put you on a Group One winner when Smoke and Romans won the time-honoured Turnbull Stakes. The Turnbull was first run in 1865. And it had many names right up until 1948 when it was given the name of the then VRC chairman, Richard Turnbull. Smoking Romans isn't the best horse to ever win the race, Ethan, but he's pretty special to you. Yeah, extremely special. And, um, yeah, he's a perfect example of a horse going through their grades and Kieran and Dave getting the best out of one. Um, yeah, I think... Before that, he'd only won a Packenham Cup. And then he won the lead-up to the Turnbull Group 3 race at Caulfield and Naturalism, I think it is. Mm. Might, might be wrong there. Um, anyway, but that Turnbull race, he it was a similar sort of 
execution plan as snap dancer. Like he he was able to jump and put himself on speed, and that Turnbull had a had a lack of speed on paper. We were able to dictate, and um, yeah, he was. I remember looking at him in the yard, and he was there, fit, shiny in the coat, just ready to go. And my confidence went through the roof when I got on him. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he, he did hit the front soon that day, but uh, he was he was fit enough to sort of keep running. And yeah, that was an amazing moment, winning a race like the Turnbull. Jamie Carr rode smoking Romans in the Caulfield Cup. But you were lucky enough to pick up a ride in the race for Godolphin on Allegron. I think you'd had a few rides for them previously. Yeah, I'd had a couple of rides for Godolphin, not not a heat. But um, when, yeah, Smoke and Romans got 51 and a half, I think, in the Caulfield Cup, mm. which, you know, that, that was well under my minimum riding mm. weight. Uh, however, I picked up a Legron. He had 53 kilos, and that was, you know, that was a stretch getting down to that. But uh, it was a terrific opportunity to be put on by them on one of the favourites in the Caulfield Cup. Um, unfortunately, he didn't run to expectation. They can do that a bit at Caulfield. Um, but, yeah, just the opportunity it was in itself I was very thankful for. The 2018-19 season was a memorable one for you. You won the Melbourne Metropolitan Apprentices Premiership and in so doing, you finished third on the overall Jockeys Premiership. That was a hell of a season. Yeah, that was probably my breakout season as an apprentice. Um, And yeah, uh, that really put me on the map and that was great thanks to Darren Weir for giving me so many opportunities, um, was able to win that, win that and sort of put me name on the map a bit. But, yeah, I'll never forget that season. More recently, late last year, in fact, you won four straight city races on Right You Are, a son of So You Think for Mara and Eustace. Three of those wins were at Sandown and one was at Mooney Valley. Nice horse. Yeah, he's a beauty. He's another example of um, a horse gaining confidence and, and going through his grades and he ended up knocking over a stakes race, which which was, you know, at the start of his prep, probably wouldn't have thought so, but he just continued to improve and, um, yeah, he was re- really good to me, that horse. And I think, you know, come springtime, he, he's going to make his presence felt. I wonder what they're setting him for. Yeah, I'm not quite sure there, but he'll, you know, he'll make his presence felt, that's for sure. I'm sure they've got Group 1 aims for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually did ride him the other morning, and he seems to be going well. He's wouldn't be far off to jump out. Yeah, all right. Well, there's one for us to mark down for the forthcoming Spring Carnival. Right you are. Let's hope you stay on him. Now, time to pay tribute to your partner, Celine Gordray who's been one of Victoria's top apprentices right through the season, and she actually finished second on the Melbourne Metropolitan Apprentices ladder to Carleen Heffel. Wonderful effort. Yeah, it was. She done a great job. Celine's done 
uh, a lot of hard work to get to where she is now. She had a lot of injury time um, earlier in her apprenticeship. She's always had the talent there, but it's just setback after setback, and she worked hard and rehabbed properly with uh, injury after injury, and she was, you know, able to have a bit of a breakout season this year. And, um, you know, she didn't waste all her claims, so she'll, I'm sure she'll kick on again next season. Selena's apprentice to Pat Carey at Mornington, and you tell me she's nice and light and very, very keen and very relaxed on race day, Ethan. Yeah, she is. She's she's a great horsewoman. Um, you know, Pat's sort of guiding her in the right direction, uh, being her master, but, yeah, come race day, she's extremely relaxed. Like She thinks about it, but she doesn't let things eat at her like if she um if she wrote one bad she would learn from it and just put it straight behind her focus on the next race i think that's sort of one of her biggest attributes she might uh, follow in the footsteps of the late harry white possibly the most relaxed jockey in victorian racing history legend has it that uh, when he rode think big in the 1974 Melbourne Cup, all the jockeys had gone out into the enclosure to talk to their respective owners and trainers. There's no sign of Harry. Somebody went back into the jockey's room and he was sound asleep. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, that sounds like something Celine would do. It would not surprise me. <laughs> if, she, if she could end up like Harry White, you know, I definitely wouldn't be complaining. You and Celine live together at a place called Mount Martha, which is geographically perfect for both of you with track work duties. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful part of the world. Very lucky to have found myself here. Uh, it's only 30 minutes to Cranbourne and five minutes to, to Mornington. And um, obviously she's apprentice in Mornington and I do most of my work out of Cranbourne. So, it's yeah, it's a perfect setup. If you wanted to send yourself around the twist, you could be riding seven days a week and travelling a million miles, but you're not going to let that happen. No, I don't think it's sustainable. I mean, you just burn yourself out. I was actually talking to Mick Price the other day and he, he did say to me, I don't understand why jockeys do that, you know, ride seven days a week or go all the way across the other side of the state for a few rides it, it takes the sort of um spring out of their step if you mm. know what i mean mm. and i couldn't agree more with him and that's going to be well it has been my approach last season and it'll continue to be my approach to sort of focus on the better meetings um that are within distance and you often find you find better horses at their meetings too which you know it, it's Definitely more sustainable going forward, especially into the springtime. Owners, trainers, punters and racing fans alike have been delighted to welcome you back to the track. Uh, Ethan Brown, you've made a million friends in your eight years in Melbourne and you've stamped yourself as a very talented jockey in a strong arena. Ride well, young bloke. And thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. 
No, no worries, John. It was a pleasure, pleasure to join. Ask any trainer about the frustrations of having horses who won't clean up their feeds. Those horses who always leave a little more than they should. And for some strange reason, they seem to leave the most the night before they're due to race. Why not try those finicky doers on Pride's Easy Performance? A highly palatable set recipe feed that provides the right muscle fuel while promoting inner health. It's also of benefit in helping horses to recover a after a tough run, a barrier trial, or a searching track gallop. Some horses have only one win in them. Others might have two or three. They've got to be happy, healthy, and fit at all times, and on a feed that covers all bases. It's a good feeling for any trainer when a horse looks right, and when he or she is leaving the feed bin with a shiny bottom. When the right race comes along, you want a horse who's been on a feeding regime designed to help it get to the line. Pride's Easy Performance is the complete nutritional feed for the equine performance athlete.